Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I'll even write poems about it. I'm so excited. I hope you are too. Why don't you stand to your feet? We want to read scripture this morning and get stuck into what God wants to say to us. Twas the weekend before Christmas. Copyright protected, that poem. The scripture will be on the screen. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. The reason why we stand here at Life Changes when we read scripture is because we give that the ultimate uh, honor in our hearts. It's not an emotional redhead, whether he's crying over Nicole or passionate about the word of God. I'm married to Fiona, by the way, just so I'll let you know. Got a baby. Thank you. God redeems what the enemy steals. But we read scripture because we believe that this, this is the thing that can change our lives. So why don't we read it together? Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel. I didn't, I didn't put that in there. So I'll let you know. He sent Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your word as we open it up and we look at this familiar portion of scripture. I pray, Father, would you speak loudly and would your voice be the one that dictates where we're called to go. We love you, Jesus, and we lean into this passage now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat, say hi to someone on the way down. It's good to be in church together. As you can see, I love Christmas. I'm a, I'm a big fan of this time. I'm, I'm in Christmas trees and all, carols and all. Uh, Frosty the Snowman in 38 degree heat, I will sing it because I'm in. But Christmas, I love it because as soon as the 30th of November turns over to the 1st of December, a renewed sense of hope and excitement and longing and anticipation leaps in most people's hearts. It's a time of hope and excitement. But I want to say, as Charles Dickens once said, it's also the best of times it also is the worst of times, as I know in the same breath that in many people who in the same moment as Christmas dawns again, there's loneliness in people's hearts that's leaping up. There's, there's the reminder of, of broken relationships that just becomes very, very evident. Financial stress becomes the order of the day. Fear over what lies just over the calendar month, what happens next year starts to loom large in people's hearts. I want to say this morning, it's a simple idea that, I've got, that I want to present to you this morning is that I believe God is leaning in and He's wanting to speak to your hearts. 
He's wanting to speak to my heart. He's wanting to speak hope, peace, joy, life, faith, future into every single heart this morning. But here's the thing I do know as well. The enemy is also wanting to speak. It's the best of time and the worst of time. The enemy's voice wants to be just as loud and wants to come and put into doubt, chaos, confusion, the, the, what God is speaking to. Because I want to tell you that ever since the very beginning, there's always been two preachers. From the page one of the Bible, God has been preaching. Genesis chapter one, the father preaches to mankind, I want to bless you. I want to give you authority, dominion, influence, intimacy with me. God is preaching from page one, good things for humanity. But just one page over in Genesis chapter three, we see the introduction of the second preacher. His name is Satan. He slithers onto the scene and he throws into doubt, into chaos, into confusion. Did God really say? And the narrative of the rest of Scripture all the way through and even into my own heart and to your own heart is there's always two preachers, two voices that are competing for where you're going to walk into the future. Here's my thesis this morning. The voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. Let me say it again. The voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. So this morning, out of this text of Scripture from Luke chapter 1, I believe in uncertain times, in chaos, whether you are up on a mountaintop and you're so excited for your Christmas leave, or whether you're down in the dumps and you're just saying, I don't know if I've got even enough emotion to make it through these next few weeks. I want to tell you, God wants to speak. And I pray that you're going to be listening to the right voice. Three voices that we have to understand that we be listening to this Christmas. We have to deal with, understand, number one will be on the screen. Mary had to deal with this, and so do we. We have to understand, will we listen to the voice of your failure or the voice of his favor? The story that we read, it opens up this dramatic scene where the angel Gabriel, just love that name, don't you? The angel Gabriel arrives and he speaks favor over Mary. The first thing he declares, he says, Mary, you have found favor with God. And I love this line that follows that, just underneath that. The first line, before Mary has said a word, it it says this, confused and disturbed, Mary wonders what the angel could mean. Confused and disturbed. Now, I want to tell you why that's important, because I've wondered, why, why was she confused and disturbed? Was it just because an angel had appeared dramatically? Was it what he said that confused her? I'd like to present to you that the spiritual backdrop that this story opens on is the fact that for 400 years preceding this moment, 400 years, it's known as the intertestimonial period, more colloquially called the silent years, where for 400 years in the Israel history, it appears that God has been silent on the nation. God has been silent. In, in my Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament are separated by one page. It's one page. It's a blank page. And it's the end of Malachi. That one page, turn over, you start book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. That one page represents 400 years. It's a flick in your Bible. That's 400 years where the present word of God, where scripture, new scripture or revelation just seemed like God was not speaking. I present to you, maybe he was still speaking. The people just stopped listening. But what had happened because of this sort of thing, the spiritual backdrop that, backdrop that comes to Mary, is she finds herself on the wave of 400 years where this stuff doesn't happen. God does not speak to us. In fact, they, because of this, the people, have, they've carried the shame of Babylon for so many years, the guilt of Babylon, which we've been preaching for the last four year, weeks out of Daniel, that the nation have got into a spiritual depression, a spiritual stupor, where they feel the Pharisees have risen, risen up. They are starting to actually say, actually, because God is not speaking, God is not happy with us. God is angry with your sin. That's why he's not speaking. And they started to put laws and religion and chaos on people and putting the burden on them so people will never forget the shame of Babylon. 
So the people are under heavy weight, a heavy oppression. And Mary finds herself in this moment where this is the burden that she's carrying with the nation of spiritual guilt and shame being whipped every week about their brokenness. And here comes a moment where the angel declares, which voice are you going to listen to? Mary had the opportunity to either lean into the God's favor that he was preaching anew or into the, the old and the nation's shame that she knew so well. Mary had to make a decision in that moment. Which way would she go? I, I present to you this morning that this is not just some biblical narrative that is stuck in the, the, the old and the crusty black and white pages of the Bible. No, it leaps out of the page because I believe this is our reality. The, the great author, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes, he was a renowned prankster. And there's, a, there's an anecdote about him that he once wrote 10 telegrams to the 10 lords of London. And, and he sent it out to him, and, and all it said, it didn't have a signature, it didn't have a name, but it just arrived on their doorsteps uh, one evening saying, all has been discovered, flee at once. says, the next morning, all 10 had disappeared. The, the, the joke is, is there, but the reality, I think, is, is not so far removed from you and I. Because if I'm honest, I think in my heart, I remember the times I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a home where I was battling with a secret addiction for years of internet pornography. And most evenings when I saw my parents go on the computer, the harrowing thought was, have I deleted the history? And I'd be so stressed. Well, did I actually delete the history? I'm so nervous that I was about to be found out. And I don't think it's too far removed from you and I this morning. I believe that maybe you're sitting here, you're going, have I deleted those text messages that I don't want my spouse to see? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I've got to move the finances around a little bit so that my family doesn't know that we're actually in a bit of a negative situation, that I've used the money where I wasn't supposed to use it. Maybe you're here today and that's your story, or maybe it's not what you've done, but it's what's been done to you. That's, and it's, maybe it's not so private, actually. It's actually a weight that is so visible for everyone to see that you're just carrying on for years, or maybe something that hasn't actually happened. You've been saying, why haven't I fallen pregnant? And it's a shame that you've you had expectations in friend after friend fall pregnant that you haven't. Or maybe you say, why hasn't he proposed? Why did he leave me? Why has everyone else got the promotion, but I didn't? Maybe it's just as subtle as that, but I want to say many of us cannot walk into the favor that God has for us because we're dragging our failures behind us like an old piece of toilet paper that's got stuck to the bottom of our shoe and we just can't get it off. And no matter how much we try, it's an embarrassment and we can't keep our eyes down because this thing is dragging us back. This morning, our, the biblical precedent is this. We have an enemy called Satan and his number one job is not temptation. Although he's very good at that, the enemy's number one job is not temptation, it's accusation. So much so that the enemy's name in Scripture is the accuser of the brethren. We are told that night and day he never stops accusing those who have been called by God. This is what the enemy's job is, is to accuse us. And, and the way he does it, he's got two weapons, his left hook and his right hook. His left hook is called guilt. And guilt is something, he will remind you what you've done or what you haven't done. He'll remind you again and again. He'll pummel you into the corner as, uh, as we saw that the fight of the century this, this year in the 10th round where, where the MMA champion of the world is just getting, he just, it's, it's too much. He got the fighters out of him. And the left hook is going, this is what you've done. This is what you've done. And he'll bring it up again and again. And you just can't get it out of your psyche. And you start to be defined as that. And then he'll follow it up with the right hook called shame. Guilt reminds you what you've done. Shame starts to, to change what you've done and tells you this is actually who you are. You're not just somebody who once had an affair. You're an adulterer. 
That's who you are. You're not just somebody who made a mistake one day. You, you, this is who you are. You'll actually say, you, you are your sin. The enemy will start to remind us with his left and right hooks of guilt and shame. This is what you've done, and this is who you are. I, I, I wanted to remind us this morning that actually God's favor is different, though. And let me tell you about God's favor. God's favor is dependent on his nature, not yours. This morning, God's favor is based on his victory, not in your history. God's favor is received, not achieved. God's favor is counterintuitive to you and I. The nature of the enemy wants to remind us of where we've been, our history, what you have done, what you haven't done, where you haven't measured up. And God is saying, actually, uh, uh, the angel arrives and he does not mention anything about their past. He says, Mary, you are favored. I want, to, I want to say that God is pronouncing this over every heart this morning. And by, I pray by the time I'm done, your heart will start to shift and start to believe this truth about who you are. But more importantly, who God says you are. Here's the implication this morning. And point one is we have to get rid of the would have, could have, should have language of condemnation, which is underscored by the passivity of regret. I could have. I would have. I should have. Here's the truth for you and I. For you and me. This morning, I want to tell you. You can't unsin. It's happened. The only thing you can do is repent. How many times I wish I could go back and regain the wasted years, the wasted hours, the wasted moments. I can't. Let me set you free where the enemy wants to remind you again to replay those wasted moments, those horrible conversations. You wish you could pull back. You can't, but you can repent. And here is what repentance is. Religion will tell you that repentance is to whip yourself into submission. No, repentance is not that. Repentance is not wallowing in your failure. It's rejoicing in His favor. Which voice will you allow to determine your future? The voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. Point two this morning. Number one, is your failure or is favor? Secondly, will you listen to the voice of your doubt or the voice of your destiny? The angel appears to Mary and says, God has chosen you. You, Mary. And Mary's first response, if you read on down, is that she says, how can this be? I am a virgin. Logical. Well thought out. But here's the understanding, not just behind the fact that she was biologically incapable to bear a child in the natural scheme of things. Mary was already at a disadvantage on a number of levels. Two reasons why. She was a woman, and she was from an area called Nazareth. Let me explain why this and that culture was a disadvantage. And is that women... We're, in that day and age, we're excluded from most forms of public spiritual life. Women were excluded from most forms of spiritual life. Actually, in fact, they weren't allowed to handle the Torah. They weren't allowed, they weren't even taught how to read because actually there's no purpose for them because they don't hold the Torah. The Torah is held by the men. Women are pushed to the side in terms of spiritual matters. And now nothing's happened for 400 years. And the first seemingly spiritual thing that happens comes to a woman. Shock, horror. Mary's conditioned, her doubt, she's conditioned to say, that's not me. You've got the wrong house, the wrong address. Not only Mary being a woman, she's from Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a backwater hillbilly town in Israel. In our days, Englishmen, Irishmen, and Van der Merwe. You know, no, those days, Englishmen, Irishmen, and the Nazarite. <laughs> it's, the, it's the joke of the town, the joke of the time. So much so, in Scripture, you'll hear it said in the later of the Gospels, someone says, nothing good ever comes from Nazareth. That was a colloquial saying of the day. It wasn't just something somebody made up. They would always say, ah, of course, nothing good comes from Nazareth. 
The, Nazar- the Nazarenes, the Nazarites from that area were they're disqualified on the sideline of these moments. And, and here's the understanding for you and I. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying nothing good has come from 2017. I just want to move on to 2018. I'm done. Nothing good has come from this year. Or you're saying nothing good has come from my marriage. Maybe, I should, maybe it's a good time to just get out anyway now. Save everyone the trouble. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying nothing good has come from me being in this church. Actually, this is the last time. I'm, I'm frustrated here. Maybe you say nothing good has come from my life. I have the privilege to tell you this morning that Jesus wades into the mess of our nothing. And he doesn't just bring order out of our chaos. He brings glory out of our chaos. Some of you not need some convic- convincing. We'll go to the Word of God then. Here's my understanding. Three occasions in Scripture where God shows us off clearly. Genesis chapter 1. The page opens on chaos. There's, there's, it's, it, there's, it says the, the world is empty, formless, and, and, and dark. And into that atmosphere... The Spirit of God breathes life, and God creates everything that we can see, the macro and the micro, the Mount Everest to the, the, the inf- infinitesimal, uh, nak- to the naked eye bacteria, the smallest thing that you can imagine, from the biggest thing to the littlest thing. God creates everything out of nothing. There's no DIY kit. There's no manual. There's no Google to help him. How do you create a world in seven days? There's none of that for God. He creates nothing, everything out of nothing. Point one. Secondly, Mary's womb, there's nothing. Biologically, it's disqualified from holding life. There is nothing going on there. She has been with no man, and God comes and says, actually, Mary, you're going to house a human being. You're going to be birthed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, is going to be birthed in your womb. Out of nothing, the Son of God is birthed. Doesn't need a man's agenda or man's help in this this thing. I'll, I'll need Joseph to sleep with you. He said, no, I don't need Joseph. I will do it. Thirdly, and the greatest of all, God presides over a tomb that is broken, that holds death and nothing. The stone rolls away, and out of, that sto- out of that tomb, Jesus comes forth alive. And Scripture tells us out of the tomb that we were raised with Christ. Uh, while we were dead, He saved us. Out of our nothing, He doesn't need your agenda. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need you to get your, wait, I'll, God will do something when I get my right, life right. He says, out of your nothing, I can create life. Not just order, but glory. I want to say to you, this is not the Christmas story. This is about the explosive Christmas glory. And this is what He wants to do in your life. All we have to do is, will you bring your nothing to Him? So much so, he says, we have seen the glory of the one and only, the Word made flesh. If you want to know the glory of God, it's not glitz and glamour or, or fireworks in the sky or God doing amazing things. It's Jesus Christ being birthed in a sinner's heart, in a man who was wicked, who was addicted, who was defiled. Me, Jesus said, you ain't seen nothing yet. What, what I'll do with your nothing. This is what I want to say to you and I and to my wicked heart this morning. God is saying, I don't need to change your circumstances. I first want to change you. Too many of us are saying, God, I I need to change my circumstances before I see what you do. I don't know how far you've gone this year, how low you've gone. God says, watch what I can do with your nothing. Here's the implication before we land on point three is determine in your heart that my circumstance will not determine my response. Can we determine our heart that our circumstance, our nothing, our brokenness, or where we are in life will not determine our response? Which voice will you listen to? Because the voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. Finally, this morning, the voice of your failure or his favor, the voice of your doubt or your destiny, 
Number three, the voice of your fear or the voice of his faithfulness. You see, Mary was engaged to be married. Now we sometimes just gloss over that line, engaged to be married. You see, the problem with this for Mary, why this was quite a thing, and for her to suddenly be pregnant while she's engaged, firstly, as Scripture tells in in Matthew chapter 1's account about Joseph understanding that his wife is now pregnant uh, apart from him, says that he wanted to divorce her quietly. No, she was, she was, able, she was up to be left. It was, it, was, it was okay. If you were engaged, you were betrothed. There's a like, covenant that had already begun. That actually, if you were unfaithful, your husband could leave you. There'd be no offense on his part. He could do it. And if that happens, you'll become financially destitute because no one else then would have anything to do with you because you're spoiled goods. In that culture, so, so for Mary to be pregnant while she's engaged and it's not Joseph's child... She's like, I'm going, I can explain it to him, that's the Holy Spirit, but he's probably seen that on Jerry Springer many times. Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. I'm just thinking logically. But he has to understand, not only could Joseph leave her, not only could she be financially destitute, actually the law permitted that if you were committed adultery outside of wedlock, you could be stoned. And not the smoking on the side of the road, you could be killed. Sorry, just want to understand the culture here. This was the legitimate and logical fear that probably rose up in, in, in Mary's understanding and psyche. She said, I'm engaged to be married. And, and maybe this is you. You've picked up a diary. I don't know. My wife is very, very on the ball, and I've already got a diary for 2018. And, um, and maybe as you turn those blank pages, maybe, maybe they're filled with excitement. And, oh, we've got to fill in birth dates and big events. We've got a big trip planned. But I, I, I believe that many of us probably look at those pages with fear and trepidation. Next year, I don't, know if I, I don't have energy to do next year. I, I, don't have much, I, can't, I can't go again at this marriage thing. I can't go again at this parenting thing. I don't have any more emotions to give. I can't, go, I can't do this anymore. And you look at those blank pages, and they feel like a weight on your shoulders. If I be, can be honest, when my baby daughter, Olivia, came before that, a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. Didn't really understand anything about fear. or I was like, yeah, life's good. It's easy. As soon as our baby, we, we, we heard that we were pregnant with a baby, all of a sudden this, the horror stories of other people's pregnancies found my ears. And I started to tell Fee, we can't tell people we're pregnant until way later because I've heard stories of many miscarriages, many terrible things happening, and, and, and fear leapt in my heart. And I got so a little bit bound up for, for just a couple of weeks where we can't tell anyone that we're pregnant. We can't. And, and the doctors legitimately say, wait a few weeks just so, so we can make sure that the baby survives the early weeks and then, and then to tell people. But suddenly I decided, actually, what voice am I listening to here? Am I going to be, my future and my, uh, going to be determined by the voice of fear over the store's life about what possibly could go wrong? Or actually, he is faithful. He's the one who gives life and I trust him. So for us, that faith step was actually to get up on a Sunday and I, I probably should have run it past my wife first, but courage got up in my heart. And week five of the pregnancy told the whole church in Milton, we're pregnant with a little girl. And uh, once I got past the death there from my wife, so we're we doing this. Okay. It was the most freeing thing as I started to say, God, I don't trust my ability to keep this thing going and, and keep the fear in my heart. Actually, I trust your faithfulness. It can be legitimate fear that can start to act illegitimately. And I still have to wrestle this. Every time Olivia is sick, our baby girl, nine months old, every time she's sick and things go wrong, my heart wants to leap. Let's, what's wrong? Google. What, what, what does a snotty nose mean? I told you, I'm not very smart. 
But fear leaps up, and I've had to train and say, no, no, which voice am I going to listen to? There's two preachers, even in this moment. Which voice am I listening to? Which voice? The voice of his faithfulness, not my fear. And this is how practical and real it is, because Hebrews 6 tells us this. In verse 9, it says, we have this hope, an anchor for our souls. I don't know what storm you're facing. I don't want news you fear that will come on the end of a telephone. Maybe you've lost a lover in this, this year. And actually now you are so fearful of that phone ringing because you know at the other end of that phone call could be a phone call telling you about something else. I'll tell you, you have this hope who's an anchor for your soul. Maybe whatever is, people have been, they've just been doing company-wide layoffs and as every time the boss walks through, there's fear in heart. Maybe today's the day he tells me I'm done. You have this hope, an anchor for your soul. Your future does not have to be up and down, dictated by the fear that's gripping your heart. Trust his faithfulness. Do you hear the opposition or do you hear the opportunity? Do you hear the opposition or do you hear the opportunity? Do you hear, as the, the Israelites did as they fled from Egypt, do you hear the chariots behind you or do you see and hear the Red Sea opening up in front of you? And when fear comes, we've got a choice. Do we lean into the fear or into his faithfulness, which leads us to a bigger future? Do you hear the Goliath standing there taunting you, in front of you, mocking you, calling you into question your future? Or do you hear the potential of him about to smack and hit the ground? Do you hear or see and feel the fire getting hotter? Or do you see the fourth man joining you in the fire, as Mark preached a few weeks ago? What, what do you hear? Do you hear the opposition or do you hear the potential, the opportunity? Because here is understanding. Fear can only be silenced by faith. Fear is not silenced with good planning, good management, get a better opinion, get a safer system around us. No, fear is only silenced by faith. And too many, I believe, have allowed fear to keep them locked into a corner for way too long. Hiding, shriveled, and their future is getting smaller and smaller because of fear on the mundane, but also in the big things, just grips their heart. We were not meant to walk in fear. And I love this as scripture lands. This is how we defeat fear. It says this, the angel said to Mary, for nothing is impossible with God. Now, note that. It doesn't say nothing is impossible for God. That's, that's a given. Nothing is impossible for God. But the angel goes and puts, I've underlined in my Bible the word with. Because what that means, nothing is impossible with God. There's an invitation to partnership here. Mary, I'm not just going to do this on my own. I want you to step into a bigger future. Will you partner with me in faith here? Yes, I see your, your failures. Yes, 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 I see your doubts. Yes, I see your fear. But will you partner with me in the story? Nothing is impossible with me. This is the understanding, and I love the fact that in this moment, God is calling us to embrace the voice of his favor, his destiny, his faithfulness, and partner with him in impossible things. And Mary's response, the last line of the text we read, says this, I love it, said, I I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Let everything the voice of the first preacher has said about me come true. I see the disqualifications, but I hear his voice. I see the fear, but I hear his voice. I see the brokenness, but I see I hear his voice. Can I tell you this morning, here is the great news for you and I. I believe God wants to speak hope into every heart this morning. The enemy wants to speak fear and chaos and confusion, but here's the truth for you and I. Hope. It's not circumstantial. Hope is not a principle. It's not a philosophy. Hope is a person. His name is Jesus. And when Jesus is given, he is not retracted. When Jesus is given, he has a hope. There's an anchor for our soul. This morning, I want to land in this, uh, with this question. Which voice will you give prominence to in your life? Will you give, vo- give prominence to the voice of your past, your failure, 
that barking dog that just will not keep quiet. Guilt, shame, guilt, shame. Just cannot move on. Will you give voice to the doubts in your heart? Am I qualified? Am I enough? Have I got enough to give my family? Will you give voice to your future fears? Or will you give voice and listen to the voice of hope this morning? The scripture in the book of Hebrews says this, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. God is speaking. God is calling. And I believe today he's calling sons and daughters back to his voice. There's a moment where he's coming over. He says, I see your chaos. I see your nothing. Will you respond in faith? Yeah, but I don't know all the ins and outs of this thing. I don't care. Will you respond in faith? How, what, will, what will Joseph say? I don't care. Will you respond in faith? What will my family and friends say? I don't care. Will you respond in faith? I'm a woman. I don't care. Will you respond in faith to the voice of the Father? I land with this phrase, the Son of God became the son of man so that sons of men could become the sons of God. This is the mystery of Christmas. Why Mark mentioned earlier why heaven would invade earth and come in the form of a baby so that we would not trust the ability to make this thing happen but say, in our weakness, you are made strong. Can we close our eyes in this moment? I'll ask the band to come up at this time. Just in this moment with every head bowed, I have full courage this morning, not because of anything good inside of me, except for the one name, Jesus Christ, that Jesus is here and he's putting hope to hopeless situations, even just that crackling, just a flicker in moments of despair saying, will you trust me again? Maybe it's coming for the first time. You're saying, actually, for too long, I've let the voice of fear, the voice of failure, the voice of doubt, the voice of divorce the voice of rejection, the voice of addiction, the voice of frustration, the voice of critical attitudes of that voice to have too much influence on what I'm walking into. But today, I hear your voice of favor, of destiny, of courage, of future, of your faithfulness. How will you respond? The voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. Today here, Sir Ma'am, if you're here, you're saying today, I need to repent. And as I said earlier, repentance is not wallowing in your failure. It's turning to His faithfulness. If that's you for the first time saying, I want to put my life and my trust in Jesus. I've tried on my own, but I want to put my faith in Jesus today. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the 13th time. I don't know how many times, but for real, you're saying, Jesus, today's the day. I want in. I'm done. Listening to the wrong voices. I want to turn my ear to you. If that's you, I'd love you on three to lift your hand. I won't make you do anything. I'm just going to pray for you. One, Jesus' voice is calling you. Two, he's speaking life. And three, he's saying, will you respond to me? Put your hand up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, you see these hands. More importantly, you see these hearts. And where there's disqualification that's been barked over them. Right now in this moment, you're saying, son, daughter. The enemy, they go, no, no, I'm sinner. You say, son, daughter. No, I'm failure, son, daughter. No, I'm re- reject, son, daughter. I thank you, Father, that the voice of heaven is declaring, mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you, my well pleased. Thank you, Jesus, in this moment. Let's pray. Father, right now, for us with our hands up, lifted to you, I pray. We say, Father, we repent. We turn away from our failure. We say sorry for it. But we turn and we say, Jesus, thank you 
for your acceptance. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your blood that speaks a better word. Speaks a better word. I thank you in this moment, Father God, you're taking people from darkness to light. You're taking people from chaos to glory. You're taking people from death to life. As they say, I am all in. I trust Jesus alone.